0: Be frank network content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help. If you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others by using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. I don't know about you. The start of the new year, has been very stressful. A lot of things have taken place and not bad things, but stressful things. And I don't know if you are in that same position, but I get a lot of anxiety. I get a lot of nervous tension, if you will. And so I wanted to share with you today something that I do when I get to that place. And it's something that is very easy that you can do as well. It's called box breathing. You breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for four seconds, then you breathe out for four seconds. And if you do that, you are naturally calm down. So do it with me here. We're going to breathe in for four seconds. One, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out, two three, four, and the more that you do that in succession, and even with your eyes closed and really focusing that your feet are on the ground, that you're sitting, the more calm you will become, and that's something that really helps me in times that are highly anxious, and I want you to know that in those anxious times, there is still hope, and that hope is in quieting our spirit. Quieting our soul, if you will. So, whatever you may be going through, however you may be dealing with it, it's okay. It's okay. Just do whatever it takes to ground you so that you can have a better today. Hey, everybody. Doc Bryan here, and welcome to Doc Talks. We talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Last week, our episode was all about me. I want to talk about me, and I shared most of my life story—at least the highlights—and we had such an overwhelming response on our guest line. Of course, you can call in questions or comments at any time to our guest line at nine one zero. 777 7239 that's 910 777 7239 and much of you many of you called in and so we want to play your questions today and hopefully I can answer them to the best of my ability so first uh, we have here this statement
1: hey doc Brian man I
0: love listening to doc talks I was wondering if uh, you remember a
1: significant experience that impacted who you are today.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for that question. Man, a significant experience. I've had so many things in my life that have taken place that, that has brought me to where I'm at today, but I guess probably one of the most significant experiences was when I became suicidal. And my eyes were really opened to my mental health world. I, I was practicing then, and it's different when you experience. I had my gallbladder taken out a couple of years ago, and Doctor Stair, who was the the surgeon here in Little Rock, he said I, I used to tell people that you know it's no big deal, and and uh, you can go home and recover, and you know minimal pain medicine. And he said, I said that until I had my gallbladder taken out, and it gave me a whole new perspective. And, and so when, when I had my suicidal thoughts, ideologies, it really gave me a new perspective in life and in mental health and those that are around. And, and I really began to think, you know, it, it is very important for us to tell people that they are important to us, that we love them. Uh, my brother-in-law committed suicide, and I saw the effect that that had not only on my sister, but on our entire family and community, and so that's really, those two things really were the most significant in my life that led me to the person that I am today, more caring, more empathetic, and uh, just try to be an all-around better person to everybody that I come in contact with, we do not know if the contact that we have with somebody today, the conversation that we have with somebody today could be the last. And so when we have those conversations, we need to be very mindful that we need to tell them how much we want enjoy talking to them to how important they are to you and that you love them. Never miss out on that opportunity to tell someone that you love them. All right, here's the next one.
1: Yes, hi, Zach Brian. I love your show. My name is Alice, I live in Florida. You show a lot of pictures of your family on Instagram, and I am wondering, what does being a dad mean to you? Thanks.
0: Well, Alice, uh, I, I'm assuming that there's just good weather in Florida right now. Uh, I wish I was there instead of being here in this cold, unseasonably cold, Uh, winter in Arkansas. Uh, But to your question, yes, I, I share a lot of family pictures on Instagram and Facebook and other social medias. And what does being a dad mean to you? Well, you know, there is such this huge responsibility that comes with having a child. And many of you know that we adopted our son, Luke. And when we adopted him, we knew that he had heart problems, and that he would eventually have to have open-heart surgery again. And so I never really thought that I could love another human being. And, and as I've mentioned before on the podcast, uh, my patience with children really is not the best. And so when we got him, I just remember looking into his eyes and realizing he is mine, And he is mine to protect, and he is mine to love, and he is mine to teach. And I remember the day that we went to court to finalize the adoption, and the judge, while I was on the stand, the judge asked, they said, uh, he said, do you realize that through this adoption that you are legally bound to care for him, to love him, to nurture him until he's 18 years old? And of course, I said, yes, sir. And he said, but we know that that responsibility goes far past the age of 18. And it really made me stop and think about what I was doing. But I absolutely unconditionally loved him at that point. And what was there not to love? I mean, he was the perfect infant. He never really cried at night. He slept all night long. Never had any problems. And I remember when he had open heart surgery back in February of last year, that I was so broken. The thought that my child is here in a hospital, and this was during COVID and that there was nothing that I could do to help, that I was completely helpless. And I had to trust somebody else to take his life into their hands. I I truly then began to know what it was like to be a parent. That it's difficult. It's very difficult to realize sometimes that you hold their future. You mold them into who they are going to be. And so being a dad to me, not only says it's a, a huge responsibility, but it's the responsibility to teach your child to be respectful, to be loved, to love, to have patience, to have kindness, have gentleness, to have mercy. And how do we teach our children that? We teach them by being those things. And, and being a dad to me is the most wonderful thing that has happened in my marriage. And I I will never forget the day, the first day that I looked into his little eyes, his sickly looking little eyes, and realized that I needed this, that this is one thing that completes my life. And so, yeah, that's, that's what being a dad means to me. Uh, very, very easy to get emotional there, and so I apologize for that, but I just love that ornery little boy to death. All right, so here is my next question
1: Hey, Doc Brian, my name's Amanda from Philadelphia. If I recall correctly, you adopted your son, Luke. What advice would you give someone who's trying to adopt a child? Thanks.
0: Well. <laughs> The first advice I would give is to make sure that you and/or your partner are completely a hundred percent devoted to the process. When we adopted Luke or when we took him into our home, we took him in on legal risk, which means that the parents right had not their parents' rights had not yet been terminated. So we took him in knowing that there was a small chance, Uh, that he would be taken back from us. And that scared me to death after after getting him and falling in love with him. The thing that I would say is to trust the process. Make sure that you are 100% on board and ready to trust the process because some people believe that due to the amount of children that are readily adoptable, that it will not take long for them to get a child. However, there are people who have been waiting for years, years, I'm talking four or five, six years, to be matched to a child. And at least in Arkansas, the way that they do that is there is this computer program, and you fill out this four or five-page form that says, Yes, maybe, or yes, we'll discuss and no. And so it lists everything under the sun from medical conditions to home conditions to where they came from and that sort of thing. And you say, yes, I will accept that. We will discuss this or hard no. And so they put that into this database and then they do the thing same for the child as to, yes, they have this, no, they don't have this. And it matches. And there are things that we would say yes to or no to that just didn't match. And for instance, you know, some people aren't interested in adopting a girl. They want a boy or they do not want a a biracial family. They do not want a child that has certain health conditions. What happened with us with Luke was that he was in such poor health that the judge uh, stated that he had to go to an adoptive home that had medical background. And of course, I don't have a medical background, but I know enough about things to know when a child is sick, when a child is in need, at least uh, emotionally, psychologically. And my wife being a nurse, we were a match. And so we opened our home in February, And on March the 10th, uh, we got Luke. The process is long. They really do their due diligence to make sure that an adoptive child goes to a home that is appropriate for them. And it is difficult. One thing that my wife and I had to do, which I thought was absolutely absurd, uh, was that we had to have a psych evaluation. And that was due to the trauma that I had. But my wife, Jennifer, didn't have any trauma, but they had her to do a psyche val because of the trauma of living with somebody who had trauma. And so we had to go do this psyche valve and which was an absolute waste of time. There are all these hoops that you've got to jump through. And so my advice would be, one, make sure that you are committed, that you want to do this 100%, and then trust the process which is not always easy to do. All right, here's our next question.
1: Hey, Doc Brian, my name is Carol and I love your work, but I was wondering how do you juggle home life and work along with traveling as much as you do? Thanks, I'd love some answers. This is Carol from Chicago.
0: Carol, thank you for calling in. Thank you for your question. And the answer is very carefully. It's easy for us to get caught up in our work and neglect our family. I travel a lot. I go to different places and teach seminars, and it is difficult. One thing that I do is that I make sure that when I get home, that I leave work at work. And it's easy to not do that, especially if you're overwhelmed or or you've got so much that you need to do. I, I make sure that I leave my office at a particular time or no later than a particular time, that I leave my work at a particular time. But sometimes, in being in the field that I am, sometimes it is very difficult to do that simply because, you know, we could get a phone call at any minute and somebody's life be completely changed. How I juggle that is I have a very strict schedule and I make sure that I leave time open, for instance, to do a podcast or to spend extra time with my family. My wife started working a new job in the hospital, so she's working three days a week, 12-hour shifts. And so this weekend, it'll just be Luke and I on Saturday and then Mondays. Monday is a holiday. So I know that I've scheduled that time to be – off and I will spend time with Luke and it'll just be daddy and Luke. And so we'll make sure that we take that time. Uh, I take Luke to school every morning. I get him ready and that's kind of our time. When I travel, I FaceTime a lot. I text a lot. I check in a lot. We have Alexa in our home and I'll call Alexa and just leave a voice message that they can hear. And so I really down to the nitty gritty of answering your question I make sure that I leave work at work, I leave home at home, and that I keep in contact as much as I can, that I have a schedule that I adhere to strictly, and that's the best way that I have found to to do that. All right, here's our next question.
1: Hi, my name is Mike and I'm from Shepherdsville, Kentucky, and I just had a question for you, Doc Brian. My first question is, do you have any hobbies and what do you like to do outside of work? And two, when you were singing in your group, how long did you sing for? And um, is the group still together? Thanks. I love the podcast. Have a great day. Bye.
0: Well, Mike, I appreciate you calling in. So your first question was, do I have any hobbies? And the answer to that is yes. As little time as I have to do these things, I especially enjoy hunting, uh, deer hunting and coyote hunting. And uh, I have a good friend of mine that we go. My uncle owns quite a bit of land uh, near Mount Magazine, Arkansas. And so one of my hobbies is to is to go hunting. Another one of my hobbies is to sing and play music. So I'll just sit at the piano and just play and just play. And and I think that that actually is one of my coping skills that, that I just sit down and play At the job that i had in fort smith i had a grand piano in this uh it wasn't a ballroom but it was a very big room and so i would go in there in the afternoons and just play and i had a lady come to me one time and she said you must have had a rough day and i said well yeah it it was particularly rough i said but how did you know and she said i can tell by the way that you hit the keys as to whether you've had a good day or a bad day. And so I guess piano being a percussion instrument, I was able to uh, let out some of that anxiety. So I enjoy just being with my family. I don't know that you would call that a hobby. There is this restaurant in Little Rock called All Aboard. And if you're ever in Little Rock, I would highly suggest that you visit this restaurant. And it's a train-themed restaurant, and they have these two train tracks that go around the ceiling, and the train delivers your food. Uh, And it's a very neat experience. The kids get conductor hats. I suppose that the adults could get a conductor hat if they wanted, but it's just this very neat place, and that's one thing that, that I enjoy going there and doing. I also do a little bit of carpentry. Um, I love to build things in my, in my time that I've, I've had. I've built cabinets. I've built shelves. I've done little projects of, of doing things together. And I'm very amateur at doing those things, uh, but I really do enjoy that sometimes. <laughs> Other times it can be quite difficult and aggravating, but I do enjoy those things. Now, as to the singing, I sang baritone for a group here in Little Rock called the Apostles. The Apostles was originally, it was Parrish. Man, what was his first name? Oh, I just drew a blank. Oh, that's terrible. He did the Jolly Green Giant commercial. Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, he was a bass singer, and he did the ho, ho, ho of the, that was a Terrible, terrible uh, impersonation there. But he did that commercial, was very well-known bass singer, uh, had several record-holding things of, of being a bass uh, singer as far as singing low notes. Um, he, he sang with Elvis, uh, The Stamps, all of those uh, old uh, Southern gospel groups. So I sang with the apostles, sang baritone with them for, for several years. And they are still singing today. Uh, they don't sing a lot because the uh, group members are older, and they they don't sing. The next group that I sang with was Leviticus. Uh, we were all police officers, so it was Leviticus Americans, America's singing policemen. Uh, and we went all over the country to army bases, to the Pentagon to different places around the world and would sing. Uh, I sang lead with them and played the piano. Uh, we were platinum album uh, recording artists uh, with Sun Sound Records. And uh, we, I just really enjoyed doing that, going to different places and experiencing different things and, and singing. Leviticus is no longer together. It was together for a time after I left, but the, the main guy that that owned the group uh, was in a bad car accident uh, with a log truck, and he and his wife uh, were on life support for a long time, and and, uh, they didn't know if he was going to make it. Well, he's completely disabled, can't really travel, and his son-in-law was the baritone for that group. He, now with his wife and kids, have their own group, and uh, the bass singer for that group, he left the same time that I left, And he now suffers from Alzheimer's. And so he is there in a a facility in South Carolina. I love singing. They're not together today. You can still find some of our music online. And so I just had a great, great time doing that. It was a good time. So I appreciate your call in. I appreciate your question and hope you have a great day. All right. Here, let's see. Here's the next one.
1: Hi, Doc, Brian. My name is Charlotte, and my girlfriends and I learned about you on TikTok, and we are so disappointed that you're not on it anymore. We want you back.
0: Well, Charlotte, I, I appreciate that you and your girlfriends uh, finding me on TikTok. I am back on TikTok now, at the underscore doc underscore Brian. Uh, I did have an account. I had around 750, seven hundred and fifty seven seventy five thousand 775,000 followers. And uh, my TikTok account uh, was banned. And if you know anything about TikTok and you follow any people on there, you know that it's not unusual for an account to be banned and to be banned for absolutely nothing. And so I have started a new TikTok. And one of my New Year's resolutions was to get back on it more regularly, to have more content than I do now. I haven't really fulfilled that resolution to the point that I want, but I'm definitely working on it. So you can go follow me at the underscore doc underscore Brian. Of course, you can always call our guest line here at 910-777-7239. That's 910-777-7239. All right, we have one last question here, and here we go.
1: Hi, Doc. The question has to do with relationships. So I've had this friendship for 30 years, uh, really good friends. We've had some good times. We've raised our children together. It's been good, but the last couple of years, I've been feeling like um, we're kind of fading apart. (laughs) Our interests are different, and... You know, even sometimes being resentful of each other, what each other is doing. Of course, I follow you and other people on social media and talking to friends. And this everything points to if the relationship isn't working for you, then you don't need to continue it. Find people who are like-minded, who support you, that kind of thing. Sounds like great advice. However... If I were to tell you that this relationship is actually my marriage and the relationship is with my husband, then it is completely different when you talk to people or read things on social media and stuff like that. People tell you, no, you must try and and work this relationship out and keep it together because you made a commitment and you made a promise. And yes, I am Christian and I do believe in God and my commitment to my marriage, however, I'm feeling lost and I don't feel like it's a good situation anymore. It is not abusive. It is not hatred. There's nothing like that. I just don't feel like I am growing or learning or being complete in this relationship. And I really don't know if I want to work on it. And I don't know if he wants to work on it. So what's your advice? Why do people, I guess the question is, why do we make it so different if it's a long-term friendship versus a marriage? Is it just because of the commitment under God or not? Anyway, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Uh,
0: I, I thank you for that question, and this is a question that, that I really have to think about for a moment. From a Christian standpoint, yes, it is a commitment that you have made before God. If you believe that marriage, biblical marriage, is that the two become one, you're not ripping away two people as you would in a relationship. You're ripping away one person from a relationship. So from a Christian standpoint, yes, you are bound to that commitment. The only biblical reason that I can that I could confirm for divorce is abuse, whether that abuse be physical or emotional, or adultery. Now, let's look at this from a non-Christian perspective. Within a marriage, I think that it is reasonable to say that most marriages, after I believe it was 30 years that you said, do kind of become stagnant, that you do kind of feel like you're coming apart, that there is some resentfulness, and those sort of things. So, if you were to a point in a relationship where you want the relationship to change, um, it's not easy to change somebody else. So you've got to look at changing yourself, how you review or view the relationship, the marriage. Now, one thing that you said uh, is that, that sometimes it becomes resentful. One of the biggest traps that we find ourselves in in friendships, relationships, marriage is that we become resentful because we start looking at all the things that our partner does not do for us. And if we look at that as a marriage, when two become one, and if you are one in your marriage, whether from a religious or non-religious point of view... We have to look at it as far as, okay, my body has diabetes. What do I do to keep my body healthy? Now, whether it be the husband or the wife, there is issue there. We have to begin to not look at ourselves, but to look at how can I make my partner happy how can i make him enjoy my company how can i make her enjoy my company and the resentfulness comes in when we start keeping score of what i do for him or what he does for me honestly if you're keeping score you're always going to lose always going to lose so if you're committed to this relationship and and i know that you said in your question that that you don't know if you really want to work on it and you you don't know if he wants to work on it A decision has to be made. And that decision is probably going to be easier made by you and and what you are doing uh, with him. So my suggestion is in marriage, if you want it to work, what you're going to have to do is say, what can I do to make his life better? Because when he feels loved, he feels complete, naturally, he's going to reciprocate that feeling or emotion, unless he's a narcissist or sociopath, he is going to naturally reciprocate that love. So in not looking at what I am receiving, but look at what I am giving, uh, really can make the difference in a relationship because what will happen is over time, he will begin to change in order to reciprocate what he is receiving. I'm sure if you asked him the question, he would say that he would be kind of resentful towards you for certain things. And it may just be a time that you need to sit down and have an honest talk with each other to see where you're at, to, to have a, a commitment check in, if you will, or a vote of confidence, if you will. So I, I think first that you have to focus the relationship off yourself and onto your partner. If you are committed, to that relationship. Now, of course, you have to be happy, but I wanna make a very, very specific point about this that a lot of people get wrong. Your partner is not responsible for your happiness. Let me say that again. Your partner is not responsible for your happiness. You are responsible for your happiness. Do things that make you happy. Do things that make you feel loved, that make you feel complete, that make you feel whole. When you find that happiness in yourself and you are no longer dependent upon your partner to give you happiness, it will be a lot easier to show them love and to provide them the things that they need because you're happy with who you are. In, in a healthy relationship, you've got to be happy in yourself and what you do, and you've got to project that happiness towards your partner so that that partner then naturally becomes uh, reciprocating to what you were giving them. When Jennifer and I got married, one of the things that the pre-marriage counselor told us, which I absolutely loved, As he said, you need to understand that you are your partner's biggest cheerleader. And when you get up every morning, you need to look yourself in the face and ask yourself the honest answer, what can I do today that's going to make my partner feel loved? And so if we do that and we make them feel loved and we do things for them, then that resentfulness isn't there. We can't let it creep in on us. Now, there are these stereotypical things that, that come within marriage. Uh, For instance, you know, uh, women are supposed to do this. Men are supposed to do that. You know, women are supposed to do housework. Men are supposed to work in the yard. All of these stereotypes that come into play. We can't let that be in our marriage. Absolutely cannot. You are co-equals. You work together for a common purpose to get things done. It really becomes uh, an issue of being resentful if your partner isn't helping in those areas. So it becomes easier when you stop keeping tally of what you're receiving and start giving, start giving. Once again, this all starts with how is our relationship growing? How committed am I to growing this relationship, or being committed to this relationship. If you want, I would love for you to call in and we can discuss this live. Uh, I would love to do that with you for 10, 15 minutes here on the podcast if you would feel comfortable doing that if you're listening today, and hopefully you are. That is our last question for today. Once again, you can call in your question at 910-777-7239. That's 7777239. I want to leave you with this today. Life is hard. <laughs> we all know that. Life is hard. But if you stay committed to the commitments that you have made, you stay working hard, you will succeed. It may not be success in the way that you wanted or success in the way that you would measure success but you will succeed. You have to just keep your head down, keep pushing forward and know that at the end of the day that you have done everything that you need to do. There was a man who once shared with me, he said, every night before I go to bed, I ask myself, did I do the best that I could do today? And if that answer is yes, I can go to sleep knowing that I did my best. But if that answer is no, you need to write down what you didn't do the best. And then in the morning, read what it was and go fix it. And if you do that, then that is the key to a successful life. You can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool yourself. So write it down, get it done, have a mission to succeed. I've been Doc Brian. You can find all of my social media contacts at the bottom of my website, which is www.the.brian.com. Thank you for listening today. Once again, call into our guest line at any time, 910-777-7239. We'd love to hear from you. I hope that you have a great day and a great rest of your week. I'll leave you with this. If it is to be, it's up to me, goodbye.